Welcome to the Odd Dad Out Podcast, where normal is not my specialty. I am your host, B. Still gets butterflies in my stomach even after seven years. Adam Higgins, the Odd Dad Out. You can find me at odddadoutpodcast.com and at Odd Dad Out and all the social media places. And this is the show where I ramble and rant and tell you all about all the shit going on in my brain and ask some simple questions like... Do you experience this weird shit in my brain too? Or is it just me? <laughs> Do I ask that? I don't know. Do This week I'm probably going to ask that if I ever get around to the things that I think I'm going to talk about. Because that's how we roll. <laughs> First off, I must say I'm a little disappointed in you. I told you to nag me and harass me and remind me to get the show out this week. And to come back and talk about the World Championship uh, Taekwondo tournament that the boys were in last week and nobody did it. I told you to harass me and nag me and bug me and nobody did it. So shame on you for shame. Realistically, I couldn't do the show because I ended up kind of a minor trouble. We ran into, I was going to record the show on Monday night, as is my usual. But what had happened was my truck died. (laughs) And not in the way that it had spent so much of the time that I've had it dead, but more of the, I was taking the boys to Taekwondo class on Monday night. And I was like a block away. Like, we've got to pass this park and we're there. And it just died while we were driving. Which then means I have to have it towed back because it wouldn't start. As far as boys went, they were, you know, they could go and like, hey, it's right there. You can see it. Walk, cut across the park. Go. I'll call mom. Mom will come pick you guys up at the end of class. But it meant to, you know, ping to AAA to get the tuck trode. Tuck to get the truck towed back home. And so, yeah, that sucked. Not so much the, okay, my truck's dead, what now? And the having to have it towed back to the house. But actually more of the, it was 110 degrees outside. And this was at 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> it w- It was over 100 degrees easily. And I'm sitting here without the ability to, you know, start the truck to get air conditioning or anything. So I'm just sitting here in the heat waiting on the tow truck guy, which took eh, a better part of an hour. Really? Uh, I was lucky in that, well, one, my wife is home and she could go and pick up the boys and get them home from class. And I just had to wait on the tow truck, but also that the timing of such as she went to get the boys and get them picked up at the end of class and was driving past me to go back home. I just kind of went over there to, you know, I'd called her already and talked to her and said, Hey, here's what happened. And so, and yeah, I'm going to call AAA and they're going to, you know, truck trucks on the way. 
can I not say tow truck tonight? Jesus. But <laughs> uh, as I was sitting there talking to her, up here comes the tow truck. And I look up and see, you know, those signature flashing lights of the tow truck. And I'm like, oh, here he comes. All right. And I wave with the tow truck guy and point to the truck over on the other side of the road. And like, oh, it's right there. Okay. So he goes and turns around and comes and gets me hooked up and takes me back home and all that jazz. And what the, I mean, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but where the boys go for Taekwondo is a mile from the house, mile and a half. If you're dealing with, you know, oh, we got to go up this, like, oh, it's two blocks up and then you hang a left and you just go. And that, that's really it. It's like you just go all the way down until you get there, essentially. And so it's not far by any stretch. But, you know, I've got a dead car to deal with. And so it is it is a drive of five minutes going through the neighborhood if you're stuck with traffic at the stop sign. It's, it's very diff- It's very short drive. And it literally took longer to load the truck onto the back of the tow truck than it did to actually drive home. But it was just one of those ugh, sweating my face off. It was like sending pictures to my wife of just how sweat. I'm just sitting here sweating. My glasses are wet. Just bleh. because not only is it a million degrees here, but it's monsoon season. And so we'd actually just gone through several days of thunderstorms <laughs> and even that morning we'd had a small storm that just ugh, it made it so humid and i realized there are places that have far higher humidity than we do as a baseline you know in phoenix high humidity is 10 to 15 percent that's high humidity for us. It, it's, it's very, very dry here. We accept that. That is just life. You walk outside and you're roasting versus like we lived in Corpus Christi or if you live in San Antonio or anywhere along the Gulf Coast or anywhere where there's a beach, you have humidity. And when we lived in Corpus Christi, low humidity was 30%. Any normal day you were looking at 40, 50, 60% humidity just because. But it had stormed so much and it was 90 degrees and full blown thunderstorming at something like 10 in the morning. <laughs> and so it got so humid. You just like, as soon as the storm was over, it suddenly it just rained everything out, everything else burned up. And we went from dark clouds and just pouring down buckets of rain. To you go outside, perfectly clear blue sky, sun blistering down on you. And when I opened the door, I just got whomped in the face with just a, a gush of steam almost. It just, I, I'm used to you open and the sun is blisteringly, blindingly hot and bright, but it was all of that plus humidity and just and just like slapped me in the face with all that and holy crap but the and I was I just was I was almost knocked back with the just shock of the humidity that I was experiencing <laughs> and 
go back over and tell my wife, oh my God, it's so humid out here. And she pulls up the weather app and said it was like 65% humidity, something like that. I'm like, that, that doesn't exist here. We're the desert with 60 but something percent humidity. No, what the hell? Incidentally, later in the afternoon, like maybe three o'clock in the afternoon, so it's maybe three hours later. And she said, oh yeah, it's only down to 25%, which is still high for us. We go outside and still feel the humidity, but we're like, it's burned off 40% of that humidity in this afternoon. Holy balls. <laughs> so, yeah. It was still like 20-something percent humidity and like 90-something, 100-something degrees around 9 o'clock while I'm sitting here waiting on this tow truck. And huh, I'm, I'm just dripping. Ugh, it was so gross. And I don't even care about getting hot and sweaty, but if I'm doing something, if I'm working in the yard or something like that and I'm sweating, yeah, I'm working hard and sweating. If I'm just sitting here, <laughs> bored, Sitting here scrolling through Twitter and TikTok and Facebook and Instagram. Not so much Facebook, but Twitter. Scrolling through the social medias for, what, like an hour? Like, and not doing, not exerting myself at all, but I'm sweating like that. Ugh. <laughs> Just miserable. Uh, but, again, I was lucky because, you know, if, if you ever used AAA... And use the app and it tells you, hey, how long your guy's going to be. And so I, I use the app and it says, oh, you, you know, expect your driver at 1140. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I'm going to be sitting here for over two hours. Ugh, in this heat. Ugh, because our overnights are in the 90s, it's summer in Arizona. Congratulations that it's hot all the time. It doesn't stop being hot ever. It's raining hot. <laughs> it's boiling water from the sky. But we don't sit in it for a long time without some sort of relief. And I did not have relief because I was expecting to drive to a place with air conditioning, wait inside, and drive home. Not sit outside with no air conditioning and guard a truck. <laughs> so, yeah, was not mentally prepared for that particular heat experience that night. Not that this is a show about the weather, but, you know, it was a thing. <laughs> so, weather report aside, I did want to tell you about the World Championships Taekwondo, the ATA championship that we went to uh, last weekend which was it was a great experience one it's the world championships that's cool that's a big thing it's huge especially compared to the regular tournaments we go to you know they're all kind of ranked for size and and all that so you know there's a b c tournaments this is a double a tournament this is huge our normal tournament like the Regional tournaments we go to, a tournament, you might have between 16 and 20 different rings of different categories and events going on and people and groups and, you know, because they're grouped by belt level and age and uh, different categories like that. So you don't have white belt, you know, 
six or seven year old white belt competing with a 16 year old black belt. Yeah, they have it all broken up and categorized and all that stuff. So normally they have, eh, I, I, I'm kind of estimating between 16 and 20 rings if depending on the size of the space they've got. This for worlds, because it is the world championships that has people from all different corners of the world and all different countries and Brazil and Chile and and there were Canadians and Mexicans and and I'm I'm blanking. There were tons of different countries. I think the ATA is represented in twenty some odd countries around the world. And so there was representation from several countries around the world. And so it's a huge event. There were sixty eight event rings. So it's like three times bigger than anything we've done. And it was massive and just crazy, the the amount of people, but it didn't feel crowded because the space we were in was so huge to be able to hold that many different rings that it didn't feel crowded because we're used to rings that are smushed together and you've got like maybe a two-person wide walking space between rings. In this case, you could drive a car between them. And so there was plenty of space to get around, plenty of seating. You know, we weren't fighting for seats at any of the rings. We were able to sit and be able to, you know, find our space and watch and enjoy the show and enjoy watching the boys compete. And really the biggest thing about the world championships is our boys aren't old enough to compete for an actual quote unquote world championship because world titles are exclusively for black belts. And they're all still color belts. They're in various stages of purple and blue belt right now. And so they aren't, you know, they don't compete during the weekday portion of it. That's where all the championship rounds and everything for all of those, for all the black belt categories are. But the thing about the world championships is, is both the end of the tournament season and the beginning of the season. It is the end of what is the 21, 22, uh, championship season and then the weekend starts the 22 23 uh, tournament season so it is the first opportunity to get points for the upcoming season and because it's a double a tournament it is worth a metric fuck ton more points <laughs> and like for a third place in any event for the worlds you get more points than you would in a first place in a B tournament. And so, you know, the boy, it's just one of those where if you really want those big titles, those like points titles, like state champions and stuff, they're strictly based on how many points you have. That's where you got to go. You almost can't get enough points without traveling all over the country and doing a million little tournaments to get those big titles without competing at worlds. And, Fortunately for us, one of our boys, our oldest, who, I mean, he's, he was the first one in, he's been in, you know, he's been in it the longest. He's the highest belt rank. He is a, what it's called a, this purple, a decided purple belt or purple belt decided because they kind of split up the belt categories into a recommended and a decided just so that they have more time training in each belt level, essentially. And so it's kind of a second degree purple belt, if you want to call it something like that. And he's not too far away from getting his black belt. He's 
within a year of his black belt right now. But that aside, he competed in pretty much every available category. It was traditional forms, traditional weapons forms, um, uh, combat sparring, traditional sparring. So there's one, there's, there's sparring where they're, you know, it's kicking and punching. And then there's sparring where they're using what's essentially a foam bat and, uh, it, what's combat sparring. And he's competed in those. And he also competes in a creative weapons form, which is the ones where they'll have it like they'll be doing their, I would say freestyle, but a, an original form using a weapon of their choice set. In his case, you have the option of setting it to music. And so he's been working the same form for most of the season. One of the black belts, she's actually now the uh, program director for their studio, uh, recommended to him at the beginning of the season that he should try out doing creative forms or creative weapons. And so we're like, you know what? Let's give it a try. And so he uses a bow staff for his weapons forms and put it to music. And we've been using a uh, Lindsey Sterling. If you're familiar with the song Shatter Me by Lindsey Sterling, uh, he performs to that. And because we are kind of an artistic, musically inclined group, we designed... Because we, we really worked on this together. My wife and I and Charlie, we all put this all together with the music playing and thinking of just kind of the what moves and what motions and what everything feels with the music and playing it and just kind of what are you getting? What are you feeling? What feels natural with the music? And so different beats have different motions and they're, you know, different big pop moments and things like that to really coincide with the beats of the music. And so it's a very artistic, musically engaging uh, presentation that he does. And he has managed to place with this and meddle with this ever since he started doing it. And I believe he's gotten two or three gold medals out of this form at major events. And he got first in he has a district title because of this form, and now he just got first place at the world uh, worlds tournament. Which again, because he's a color belt, he doesn't get a world title, but he's got a first place at worlds with this form and this category, which is really it's his strongest. It really is. It is his strongest event. Is this creative weapons form, and we we were just so it's it's just such a big thing for him. His first tournament season last year didn't do so well. He was really disappointed. But this year, he really did great. And he medaled at just about every event we went to. And he, I think he walked out, if I recall, he walked out with a first place medal in at least one event in every single tournament we did this year. And he's really killing it in creative weapons. Is easily his strongest uh category. He also came out with a third place in, I believe it was traditional weapons form or freestyle weapons. I I know he was, there was a tie in one event and he won, got third place in the other one and I'm blanking which was which right now because it's late at night. You know how I roll. So, (laughs) 
But so he walked out of the world championships this year with a first place medal and a third place medal for his first time ever competing at world. So it was really a big day for him. And so you know, we've still got, we got more tournaments coming up this season and we're looking at traveling for tournaments this season. So it's going to be a big thing. This is really a big thing for them, but it was just, it was, a, it was so fun. And as far as tournaments go, there's probably the least stressful one we've had so far. Cause a lot of them, they're crowded. There's a, there's so many people and there's been stresses and issues and things that'll come up and it just gets, it gets chaotic. There's a lot of chaos with these tournaments and they'll announce, Hey, we need the eight year olds and unders color belts in ring number six, except it sounds like. And forgive me for that. If your ears just yelled at, if, if I just blew out something, I'm sorry, but that's what it sounds like. And so you never know what is exactly being said you got to listen to it three or four or five times and then ask somebody else and hope they were able to translate it <laughs> but that aside there's there's a lot of chaos at normal this one was not and for the sides of it we were really worried about that we were like i said normally we're in like maybe 16 rings this time there were almost 70 we thought there's going to be so many people. It's worldwide. There's going to be hundreds of people there. There's so many rings. This is going to be a mess. And it wasn't. And it was actually rather enjoyable. And we actually, we probably had got out of there earlier than any other tournament because we've had tournaments where we've had them competing and we, it starts at eight in the morning and we're there at four in the afternoon before we're able to get out. And this time it started at eight in the morning. We were actually there at seven, which Oh yeah, it's in downtown Phoenix, which is almost an hour from where we are way out in the way, 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 way suburbs. And so we have to get up at about five in the morning so that we can get everybody up, get the car loaded, get everybody breakfast and dressed and double check that everybody's got everything they need to leave at about six in the morning so we can make it to the event by seven so we can make sure we are situated and checked in and it all the paperwork is in order and everybody's got all their stuff and and we've got seats and we know where rings are going to be all the things we got to do at a tournament and we, so we always make it a point to get there early because seats disappear quickly and so we we got up damn early and did all this and the boys all four boys were there had to start at 8 and we left there before one o'clock. I think we were home by about one thirty. See, again, the earliest we've ever gotten home from a tournament. And considering it's the world championships, it's the, it's the big, big ass tournament downtown. We were thoroughly surprised to make it out of there so early. <laughs> and on top of that, you know, again, we had to get up at five in the morning. The night before was actually the in, uh, induction of a new presiding grandmaster for the ATA. So it was, you know, kind of a changing of the guard. There's a new big boss at the top of the organization. And so it was a whole big ceremony and it's also their hall of fame and awards ceremony and all this sort of stuff all. And then, you know, ends with the induction of the new presiding grandmaster. And if you aren't familiar with the time it takes to achieve certain 
ranks in martial arts. Essentially, in Sangam Taekwondo, which is what the boys do, you essentially, once you reach your black belt, and it usually takes, depending on the, the path you go on, two to three years to reach a black belt for your first degree. And basically, every degree after that, you add another year of time between them. So, you know, first to second degree, you've got to practice, you need one more year. Second to third, two years between those. Three, four, three, four, blah, 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 blah. So we, I did the math and it essentially boils down to, to reach a ninth degree black belt, which the grandmasters are. And the previous grandmaster was actually the highest ranked grandmaster in all of the ATA. But the, these ninth degree grandmasters had to have been a black belt for a minimum of 45 years to achieve that grandmaster status. So they're all old as fuck. <laughs> no disrespect to all of the grandmasters, but they're all old as fuck because they essentially have to be. But that aside, it was really cool to see, again, because this is world, so almost every master of every level from sixth degree masters up to ninth degree masters were all there in their dress silk uniforms looking snazzy as hell doing uh different martial arts displays and giving out awards and you know the traditional drum circles and all this stuff and of course a demonstration of the ninth degree black belt form like the top uh black belt form from the new grandmaster and you see this 80 something year old Korean man doing all of these forms and, and doing this whole long, and it's a long form. It is. I think it's 81 moves in this form. And it requires board breaks and flips and it requires other people. There's like elements of it where they have like repelling attackers and things like this that are part of this form and for that ninth degree. And so watching this guy do this stuff at his age like yeah he's not the sharpest out there right now i'm pretty sure if he were in a street fight he'd get his ass whooped but you know what it looks pretty cool that he's doing this anyway but yeah it was it was it was, an, it was very educational we learned a lot about the organization we learned a lot about the history and and about the grandmasters and about the tradition of Songnam Taekwondo. It was a really fun thing to be at. And me, I, I, I love learning things about things. And so for me, that was probably the best part was the history of it. And I, I don't know how, what parts, I think Charlie really loved it. He really just, there, there's a social element of their, their Taekwondo experience. And then there's just the, he really does seem to enjoy being part of it and learning it and the skills and just the whole thing. He really seems to appreciate it more so than the other boys. And so it was really cool to be there and to, to see that. And so that, that, that was that weekend. That was our Taekwondo world championship weekend. <sighs> I told you that I was, I told you I was going to tell you about it because like I said, it was something we did. And honestly, I would have, you know, truck, 
issues aside, you would have heard all this last week, but it was fun. It was, it was really something that we've been looking forward to. As soon as we heard about it, like Worlds was coming up, we were like, nope, we're going to Worlds. This is going to be a big deal. And for Charlie to walk out with two medals and put him, he's so far ahead on points now for his uh, state rankings that if he continues to perform at the level he is, he will have a state title this year. And he's already got a district title for last year. And, you know, cross his fingers, once he hits black belt, he'll be able to get that world title. Um, but things are looking good as for on the taekwondo front. Have you ever had one of those, like, nostalgia moments? Just, you know, thinking back to your childhood and it made you start Googling shit? <laughs> okay, because my brain is so scattered which you know, I, I tend to do that a lot just in general. Like I'll think of a cartoon or just it'll flash up in my head and I'll start Googling shit. Well, this time it's actually a bit more personal. So this week for work, pretty much spent the whole week working in a uh, office building. But the, it's just one of those where it's a lot of floors. It's a lot of separate offices. We're doing a lot of work. And so we're basically there every day, all week. You know, oh, this week we're working on these suites and this here, we're going to do this here, here. We're just bouncing around the building till we get everything done. Spend the whole week there. But this building is essentially in the last neighborhood I lived in as a kid before moving to Texas. So the house, this neighborhood, the house we lived in there is the one that I most associate with home and phoenix and childhood and like though this is my childhood home and as far as like my time living in phoenix because i spent part of my time in phoenix and then part of my time you know in in south texas and so as far as phoenix home this is my home in phoenix and i i feel like it's probably because this house we spent the most time in at least for me and we, this is a house we, we built a lot of stuff into. We built a playhouse out of the old tool shed in the backyard. Dad put putting greens in the front yard. We, we put trees and tons of rose gardens. And this is one of the uh, houses where dad had put in uh, topiaries. He had built this topiary peacock with, I forget what type of bush actually made up the body of the bird. But behind it was actually a flower bed that made up the tail. So it was all these vining uh, little flowers that would make up the tail when they were blooming. There was this nifty little idea. And we had tons of mint and, again, tons of roses. And there was a little pond and just a massive yard and things like in the house. that The, the tile uh, that my parents installed and the laundry room that dad built and the counter in the like massive island counter that had six bar stools at it because there were six kids that was in the kitchen that was built by my dad and my grandfather and all this stuff and so many memories and all this stuff that was attached to this house. And when my parents split up and I moved to Texas with my dad and the house was sold and we've gone back to visit and we've seen the house and the people that bought it have ripped out 
all the flowers and the uh, putting green that dad had in the front yard is now all just rocks, which is a very Arizona thing to do. My front yard is rocks and trees, you know, mesquite and shrubs and rocks. It's just the thing you do. It's a water conservation thing. It sucks. But now that front yard is rocks and all. I'm just like, ugh, I hate it. I hate you people. You destroyed all the work that we did to build this house and all the things we did here. And <laughs> and so I was I was telling my coworker about this house and all of our memories from there and how irritated I was with what they did to the landscaping, all the stuff we did. And I was like, huh, it's 2022. When you want to think, when you want to look up a house that you remember, you look it up on Zillow or Google Maps. So what do I do? I go to, I Google the house. I just punch the address in. And of course you get the Google Maps. And then of course you get all of the realtor, uh, Redfin and Zillow and all, all those that they show you the house. But I thought something was interesting. You know, normally when you look those up, you'll have, here's a picture of the house. Here's a picture of all the rooms and all the things that the realtors took when it was sold last. Except none of those existed because this house hasn't been sold since my grandfather sold it in 1996. When we moved out of this house in 1996 and my grandfather sold it, because incidentally he actually owned the house, uh, they still own it since 96, 25 some odd years later, they still own that house. And I'm like, well, son of a bitch. Cause when you look it up, it says, Oh, not on the, their only pictures available are the front of the house because there haven't been any realtor pictures taken of this house in over 20 years, but it was kind of interesting. Some things I learned reading the Zillow listing and things like that finding out that this house was built in 1957, which looking back on it, we actually kind of knew it was an older house because the types of phone jacks and the types of electrical outlets it had were very old fashioned. And we need actually needed adapters to plug in the phones and things like that when we lived there. But learning that, oh, the house is only like 1300 square feet, which is not much bigger than any of the houses that we've rented since you know, I've moved back as an adult, but that the property itself was almost 6,000 square feet. And I remember, you know, way back in the day, you got a lot of land when you bought a house. You had your house and then you had a shit ton of backyard space. All of my neighbors in that whole neighborhood, every house was like that. You had your house, you had a decent sized front yard that you could enjoy and it possibly, you know, again, turn into a putting green or whatever. You know, might be able, kids can play in the front yard or the kids can throw a damn party in the backyard. Or in our case, we would play baseball in the backyard. And again, there is a two story playhouse, a pond, and at least two flower beds. There's a palm tree, there's a lemon tree, there's a, a giant bottle brush tree, there's a grapefruit tree. All of this, tons of shrubs, lots of flower beds. I told, I mentioned the pond. All of this. Oh, and a gazebo. And we still had room to play baseball and badminton and any other game we could possibly think about playing in this yard. 
we had a big ass yard. <laughs> so I didn't realize, I, I didn't fathom numbers back in the day. Now I know 1300 square foot house had a very big house, but a 6,000 square foot yard on a 1300 square foot house is fucking huge. And learning that way back in the day, they only paid 60 some odd thousand dollars for this house. Again, 1996, 60 some odd thousand dollars is a lot of money. In that neighborhood, meh, not the best neighborhood. Like hit and miss. There's some thing about living in Phoenix. Nice neighborhoods and really shitty neighborhoods are right next to each other. And for the most part, they don't intermingle. And you might have one kind of iffy street in a really nice neighborhood. (laughs) And we were on the iffy side of the street. You go down like a half a block and there are some, or even go back to the street behind us. And the houses could be much nicer than necessarily our street. We also had the nicest house in our stretch. But that was because we did so much work to it just to keep busy and build gardens and do all the things. All that aside. That house now, with, you know, 2022 markets, is over $400,000. And I'm just like, holy crap. And it's the same people. They've made a kill. They've probably paid this house off two or three times over. They probably own it, have owned it outright for probably almost 20 years now. Okay, maybe not 20 years. It was like 25 years, whatever. But over a decade, they've owned this house outright. But. In my heart, we, we, I lived in that house for about five years. We moved in there just after my little sister was born. We moved out in 95, 96. So yeah, we lived there for like maybe five or six years at most. This person or this family or whoever bought the house, I assume it's a family, it's a three bedroom house, but they've owned this house for 25 years. That's enough time. For them to theoretically get married, have kids, raise those kids, send those kids off to college, have those kids graduate college and come back and possibly have grandkids. But it's my house, goddammit. I lived there for five years. I put that fucking tree in the front yard. It's mine. <laughs> I don't care if you lived there five times longer than I did. It's my house, goddammit. <laughs> uh, you ever have that feeling? Like, just overwhelming unjustified possession of something (laughs) i associate that house with so much of my childhood unfairly real the more i think about it i have i hold that house and the memories from that house and i it's it's one of those things where you live in a place at a certain formative time of your life and there's certain events and a time period that you just hold so strongly that you just were like, no, that house is mine. That is, I, I know. And I know there are members of my family that don't have the same, I'm, I'm nostalgic that way. I, I hold on to things a certain way, but it's that house. And there's one house we had really the only house we lived in when we lived in Corpus Christi. They're like, this is my Phoenix house. That's my Texas house. And lived in that house in Texas for my, my entire, almost, I guess you could say the same amount of time. We moved from eighth grade all the way until I was 20. 
who lived in that house. But I, I, I look at this house in Phoenix, and again, it's just a matter of what we did in that house and the things that we experienced living there and all the memories I had in this house in such a small amount of time. And so it, it, it's crazy to think, like, again, the more I was like talking that all out with my friend from work and was like, yeah, they've had this house all this time. Like, I don't care if I only lived there for five years. Damn it, it's my house more than yours. <laughs> it's like, I don't care if you raised your entire family in that house and it's been yours for 25 years. I don't care. It's mine. <laughs> like, I care more about, like, I, I look up the house on Google Maps and I see the street view and I look in the front yard and like, I planted that tree, damn it. Like, <laughs> things like that. I get so like sensitive about it. Like, you know, the sidewalk in the back, you know, the back, that gazebo, we built that gazebo, damn it. <laughs> You know, and so I get so sensitive about and like so possessive of this house that for all in all fairness, I have no right to be so possessive of this house. Even like I'm probably more possessive of that house than I am of the one I currently own. (laughs) That I'm currently building memories with my family. That is such a huge thing. Us moving into and building, you know, getting this house. And if you've been with me for a while, you know everything that we went through and all the craziness with this house. And we're going on, it's two and a half years we've been here. About half the time I'd spent in that house. And for most of my boys, especially the, the two little ones, this house, we've been here as long as any other home for their in their entire lives. So it's, it's weird. Just that, that possessiveness. No, this is my house. That's my house. I'm to this day. I would still buy that house if I was presented the opportunity. Right now, it doesn't cost much less than the one I'm currently in. And it's a much smaller house in a much less desirable neighborhood. And again, me, I'm, I'm city mouse. I can live in the city and be fine. I'm comfortable living in that neighborhood. For me, it's home. My wife is country mouse. The fact that we live in the suburbs to the suburbs to the suburbs is barely the, that's the, her optimum limit of city she can deal with. <laughs> but still, I, I, I have all these memories of this house and it's, it's got, it's such a soft spot for me that again, I would buy that house and bring it almost back to the state and bring like rebuild the gardens rebuild the playhouse, you know, sod the lawns, put the putting green back in and and reinstall all of those things that I remember from my childhood. Put all the rose gardens back in, all of these things to bring this house back to what it and it, again, it's all my nostalgia and all of these things from when I was a kid. Like for all I know, this whole house has been gutted and renovated a couple of times over in the last 20 something years. But, you know, for me, I, I look at it and I, I can still picture the saltillo tile throughout the kitchen and the, towards the back door and the cheapy bamboo blinds that were all along the back side of the house and, you know, the front door sticking. So we never used it. We always went through the carport, you know, the the window that my sister broke out of my bedroom, you know, the hand crank, such an old thing. 
hand crank windows on the bedrooms, you know, it, 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 all of those things, you know, for me that I, I can still so vividly remember. And again, I have, I hold personal, like in my heart, I hold so much ownership of this house that again, I have no rightful claim to <laughs> compared to the current owners. But I, I would bring, I would redo all of it. I would put all that tile in. I'd make, I'd bring all that, the floors up to, to spec. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd repaint the house. I'd redo all the landscaping to bring it back to what it was from my childhood. Because, I mean, that's the point of buying it, isn't it? If I were to ever buy that house, that's the point of buying it. And, shit because my old brain now and what i would do if i had that kind of space if i had the space that yard being as big as it is i wouldn't that's the one thing i probably would not bring back a hundred percent because my going on 38 year old brain that now builds vegetable gardens in my backyard i look at that space and i'm like I have so much room here <laughs> to build gardens. I could have fields of wheat or corn or whatever in that yard. I could cordon off whole sections of that backyard and raise vegetables and do all the things in a very effective manner because of the layout of that yard that I could have a very successful garden. <laughs> and so in my brain now, I'm like, no, I wouldn't bring back this section. I wouldn't renovate. I wouldn't, you know, bring back the parts of the yard that were all of dad's gardens. I wouldn't bring dad's gardens back minus the roses. Maybe I would turn them into my gardens and my vegetable gardens and, and what I do now. But aside from that, that's kind of where I would go. I'm like, no, I'm going to have my gardens the way I have my gardens versus dad's gardens because dad had flower gardens. I raise vegetable gardens. This is I'm gardening, gardening, but different things. And so that's that's the biggest change I would make if I were to ever have that space again. But I don't think I'll ever have that space again. And our retirement plans do not uh, involve buying a house in a neighborhood in Central Phoenix. Our retirement plans are more of buy property in Northern Arizona, somewhere where I can have my little bit of punch of farmland and not have to do shit. <laughs> you know, I can spend all my time working my land and whatever and not, you know, have to work, 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 you know, but that's, you know, a ways down the line. But what about you? Have you ever had that feeling though? Like where you just like, no, it's mine. And in your heart, you know, you don't have any right to say that. Or you just feel that nostalgia for a house from your childhood and and again 2022 look it up on zillow you ever done that because I'd, I'd love to i'd love to hear your stories about it because i i can't be the only one that does that i can't be the only one that like just got nostalgic for an old home and and googled it and then got really disappointed <laughs> kind of depressed <laughs> like okay no depressed depressed but you know what i mean like oh i just got kind of oh thinking about it and I've wanted to go by like all the nights getting out of work 
granted, it's two in the morning. I'd be really creepy, you know, this commercial vehicle driving down this middle. It's, it's a tucked back neighborhood. Like, what the hell are they doing over here? And it's really weird. But it, it looks suspicious. But yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I never went to, I never drove by the house, but I really wanted to. Really wanted to show my coworkers this was my house. <laughs> I planted that tree. Uh, this used to be a pudding green, not rocks, fuckers. But no, I didn't want to, but I didn't. Damn willpower. But okay, enough. I think I've talked about the weather and sports and house nostalgia enough for one night. Uh, I, I feel like I had something else to talk about for tonight, but I really don't remember what it was. I kind of dominated with with taekwondo and and house nostalgia and i think that's enough for one night so i guess all that's really left to say is thank you very much for listening you can find all the past episodes and links to subscribe and connect with me on all the social media places at odddadoutpodcast.com of course i'm at odddadout on all the social medias if you want to drop me an email show at odddadoutpodcast.com or drop me a voicemail at 516-636-7631. That's 516-OTOPOD1. If you want to leave me a voicemail, and I'll play it on the show. Because what the hell else am I going to do? So, <laughs> until next time, oddballs. I am Adam Higgins, your odd dad out. Thank you, and good night. <laughs>